You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is to not only share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon in conversation about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and in our community. This sermon comes from our 2022 sermon series, Holy Ghost Stories. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Here's my question for you this morning. Have you ever felt inadequate for the task that lay before you? Have you ever felt like you didn't have enough or or you weren't enough to measure up? Sometimes those are small things that make us feel that way. Sometimes they're monumental things. I can remember one time during our first term in Uganda, we were living in a town called Arua up in the northwest corner of the country. We were about 36 miles from the South Sudan border and about 12 miles from the Congolese border. And we were eight hours by road from the capital city of Kampala, where the majority of our missionaries from our organization were located. Anyway, we were in Arua, and we had this 1993 80-series Land Cruiser that we were driving, and I loved that truck. It had this deep, throaty rumble of an engine, and, and sometimes when we were in the capital city, we'd start it up, and you know, the, the car alarms and the cars nearby us would, would start going off. Uh, it, it was a great truck. We, we loved it, but it only got about 12 miles to the gallon, so you know, some things you have to trade off. But one day, I was preparing to drive down to Kampala to lead a training for some of our pastoral trainers. And that week, we ended up having a little bit of trouble with our truck. It would start up. As soon as we pressed on the gas pedal, it would stall. Meanwhile, the mechanic that we trusted was eight hours away in the capital city of Kampala. And he told us that if we could get it down to him, he'd be happy to take a look at it, if we could get it there. So I I spent the day doing everything I know to do, and a couple things I had to look up on YouTube. Uh, But I checked every connection, I checked the air intake filter, the spark plugs, everything, and I was getting frustrated. I'm debating whether I need to start calling people and canceling the training that we were going to have, but some of the pastors had already started traveling from where they lived to be part of it, and I felt inadequate for the task that was in front of me. At one point, I walked into the house to get out of the sun, to get a drink of water, and I started praying. And this wasn't one of those nice, proper Sunday morning pastoral prayers. I was frustrated, right? And I was discouraged and I was angry and I let God know. As I'm sitting there drinking my glass of water and being angry, I heard this tiny gentle whisper in my mind. Check the air intake hose. I said to myself, I already checked that hose. I don't want to check it again. And the whisper 
so insistent and yet so gentle. Check it again. Get up, get the tools back out and undo every bolt needed to get that thing all the way out of the engine compartment, begin checking it even more closely than I had before, looking for something. And sure enough, in the valleys of that flexible part that allowed it to bend so you could change the air filter and that kind of stuff, it was all cracked and dry rotted and it was letting too much air get into the engine when we pressed on the accelerator. So, like a good missionary and do-it-yourselfer, out comes the duct tape. <laughs> Wrap that thing up about seven different times, and uh, it was fine. It was fine. Started up, drove through town, went out a little bit. No trouble whatsoever. Drove all the way down to Kampala, the pasture train, no problem. Turned it over to the mechanic. He did a better job of patching it up than I was going to do with duct tape. Didn't have a problem again. I share that story, though, to illustrate a reality that I think we all feel sometimes. There are times when we, in and of ourselves, we're inadequate for the task before us. And it may just be my personality, but I think that one of our greatest fears is that we're going to come up against a situation or a task and we won't be able to get it done. We won't measure up. We won't be able to meet the need that's in front of us. And I mean, we should be able to do it all, right? No. No, none of us can do it all. Clearly, that's not true. And, and when we can think about it logically and rationally, we can remind ourselves that no one, no one can do it all on their own. And so as I was thinking about this story that we read from Acts chapter 3, I kept putting myself into Peter and John's shoes, wondering how I would have responded in that situation, thinking about how I do respond in similar situations and how inadequate I can feel to meet the real needs of the people that we encounter day to day and week to week. So I want to take a few minutes to look at this story to see what the Spirit can say to us through it today. Let me pray for us before we do. Holy Spirit, you are the one who inspired Luke to write down this story in the book of Acts. And you're the one who has preserved it for us up to now. So would you come and cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by your inspiration that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your name. Amen. So here in Acts 3, Luke is telling the story. He tells us that one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. This was something that they did on a regular basis. It was part of their habit, part of what they did in their worship, in their following of Jesus. 
And this specific day, they came across this man who was lame. This man who had been placed there by the gate to the temple, by his family or his friends to beg for money, hoping he'd get a little bit of money to help support his family, provide a little bit for the people in his household. And, and so there that day, that lame man, he asks Peter and John for money. As he had probably asked hundreds of people as they were walking by, heading in to the temple, hoping that just a few of them would respond favorably and give him a little, some, a little something. Apparently his hopes weren't very high though because he wasn't even looking at Peter and John when he asked. He's asking anybody who walked by, would you give me a little money? And so the first thing that Peter does when this man asks him for money that he doesn't have, is he looks at that man. And I see so much compassion and dignity in that choice. I mean, how many times has this man been passed by by people who wouldn't even take time to look at him? How many times do we walk past somebody who's asking for money without even giving them a look? But Peter and John stop when he asks. And they look at the man. And then he tells the man to look at them. He wants to make sure that this man is paying attention to what's about to happen, to what God is about to do. Because what is about to happen isn't just a transaction. It's personal. It's relational. It's transformative. And so Peter looks at him and he says, you know, I don't actually have any money that I can give you today. I can just kind of imagine the man, he, he, he turned towards Peter and John with, with some hope, some expectancy. He's looking at them, waiting for what's going to happen next. And they say, oh, we don't actually have any money. And I can just imagine the shoulders slumping, his face falling, or maybe looking at them a little quizzically. Okay, you don't have any money, so what are you doing? Move along. There's other people coming and maybe they will give me a little something. Why are you wasting my time if you don't have any money to give me? But Peter, he wasn't, he wasn't willing just to ignore the need that this man felt. He acknowledged what this beggar was looking for and he acknowledged that he wasn't able to meet that need that he, of what he didn't have, right? Because we can't give what we don't have after all, can we? But then he goes on, he continues, he says, but what I do have, I don't have money, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And better than any monetary gift that they could have given that might have bought bread for a day or two or three and then be gone. Peter gave him the best thing he had to give. He gave him Jesus. 
And in giving him Jesus, Jesus gave him life again. He gave him life, not just money for the next day. He gave him his life back. He gave him his legs back. And Peter is careful not to take any of the credit for himself, but to give credit where credit is due. He doesn't say, as an apostle of Jesus, I command you to walk. He doesn't say, as someone who spent a lot of time with Jesus, remember that thing he said, you know, it's going to build, Jesus said he was going to build his rock on me. And so I tell you to walk. No. He says, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the one God had promised was coming, the one God had anointed to come by Jesus's authority because of what Jesus has done. He says, get up and walk. Get up and walk. But Peter doesn't just leave it there at words. He doesn't just say those words and continue on his way up to the temple. He reaches out his hand to the man and takes him by the hand. He puts his faith into action. And I wonder if he didn't have in his mind that time that the leper came to Jesus. And he knelt before Jesus and he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, knowing all the Jewish rules and policies and procedures and what it would mean if he touched that unclean leper, he reached out his hand and touched the man with leprosy. And he became clean. I wonder if that wasn't in his mind when Peter reached out his hand to the man who was begging. The man who couldn't walk. The man who had to be carried there just to ask people for their pocket change. Peter reaches out his hand. He puts his faith into action. And he helps the man to his feet. And the man, I mean, the story doesn't really tell us, but you got to imagine, right? This man has been lame for so long. Peter tells him out of nowhere to get up and walk, and he gives him his hand. God, imagine he was a little shaky at first. But that shaky standing, he doesn't stop with just walking. Apparently, he wasn't a very good leader or a very good listener. He, uh, he starts jumping and leaping and praising God for what he had just seen and experienced. So he's there in the temple, praising God, jumping around. He's beginning to Draw a crowd. People want to know what's happening. And and the result, if we've read some of the stories about Jesus in the Gospels, they're fairly predictable, aren't they? The man begins to praise God for what's happened. And when the people see what has happened, they recognize this man as the guy who used to sit there and beg every day when they were going in and out of the temple. So they start asking questions. And Peter and John, they begin to point to Jesus. They point to God. And in in verses 12 to 16 that Jeremy read for us, he said, when Peter saw this, the commotion that was coming, the, the questions that were coming, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? 
Why do you stare at us as if it's by our own power or godliness that we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God, two of my favorite words in scripture, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. As you can all see, this wasn't just a parlor trick. This wasn't just a fast when they were trying to pull on the people. And the people, seeing what God had done, begin to praise God for this wonderful thing that they had seen and experienced. Then the leaders come along and they hear what has happened and they start asking questions about what is going on. And I think those leaders felt threatened. And so in in that fear and in that feeling threatened, they tried to contain and control what is happening. They have Peter and John arrested and put in jail for the night. And they tell Peter and John, That's enough about this Jesus. We don't want to keep hearing about this Jesus. You've got to stop. You've got to stop telling people about Jesus. And so Peter, in the very next chapters, he's being questioned by the religious leaders. Chapter four, beginning in verse eight. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked last week about the day of Pentecost when all of the gathered believers had been filled with the Spirit. But that's not just a one-time kind of event, is it? Whenever there's a need of what God wants to do that we are inadequate for, God gives his Spirit. And so Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. In other words, are you really calling us to task because we were kind to this man? Because we we healed him in Jesus' name? said, if we're being called to account, then know this, verse 10, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter wasn't afraid to stand up and be counted with Jesus or to name Jesus as the power 
at work in them because they knew that Jesus's resurrection had changed everything. In his book, The Spirit-Filled Life, Tim Tennant, the president of Asbury Seminary, says that one of the roles of the Spirit is to take the work that Jesus was doing and to universalize it among the followers of Jesus. He says, we rightfully celebrate the incarnation, Jesus Christ stepping into human flesh. But Pentecost is about the third person of the Trinity stepping into human flesh, into our lives, our bodies, our experiences. You see, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to take what Jesus was able to do at a specific time and in a specific place for specific people and multiply that through the followers of Jesus in our lives and our bodies, fulfilling what Jesus said about his followers doing even greater things than he was doing. But it's Jesus who transforms. And it's Jesus who brings wholeness. So while we may feel inadequate to meet the needs of the world around us, because we are, there's nothing in us that gives life or brings wholeness. That's not quite right. There's nothing that originates from us that can give life or bring wholeness. But there is someone in us who can give life to the dead, who can bring wholeness to the broken, who can transform what has been distorted in the world. You see, friends, our mission is to proclaim Jesus, the God who took on human flesh, the God who was crucified resurrected and ascended. And sisters and brothers, proclaiming Jesus boldly, clinging to Jesus steadfastly, offering healing in Jesus' name, it may get us into trouble. It may get us into trouble with a world that says, there's no savior outside of you. You've got to look inside. It may get us in trouble with a culture that says we have to look inside of ourselves to find the power. We have to embrace our desires and reject the boundaries that have been imposed on us. It may get us in trouble with religious systems and leaders that say we've got to change the message to appeal to a changing culture. It may get us in trouble to stubbornly cling to the God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, and in the scriptures, and in the spirit who has been given to raise us from death, to transform us into the image of Christ, and to empower us to live the life of God in our bodies but we can do nothing else. As this same Peter said in John chapter six to Jesus, where else can we go, Lord, 
You have the words of eternal life. Or as he said here in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. And so friends, we must determine, like Peter goes on to say, what's the right choice in God's eyes? To listen to God or to listen to people? And so no matter what the world or the culture or our religious systems tell us, we have nothing to offer to a broken and hurting world but Jesus. And friends, no matter what the brokenness is that you might have walked in carrying today, he can heal you. He can transform you. He can fill you with his spirit, the very life of God. If we'll turn to him, if we'll stop trying to save ourselves and surrender ourselves to the only one in whom salvation is found, we can turn to him today. And if you've already experienced the saving, redeeming love of Jesus, but you find that there's a deeper healing that's needed in your life as you've walked with him, he's shown you there's still some things that need to be transformed, some part of you that needs the transformation that he offers. You can give that to Jesus. You can ask the Holy Spirit to apply the healing work of Jesus to your lives in a deeper way. God still has power to make us whole and holy today. And maybe today you've been healed and you've been transformed and you need the Holy Spirit to give you the kind of holy boldness that Peter and John had. The kind of boldness that's willing to offer Jesus to a broken world. The holy boldness that says, it may cost me something. It may cost me everything, but I must obey God. The Spirit wants to come and he wants to fill you again, to empower you to speak the word of God boldly, to carry his presence and power to bring wholeness to a world that is broken and divided and hurting. So as we close the service today, I'll invite the the worship team to come on up. So we close the service today. I want to invite you to pray. And I want to invite you to talk to God about what he wants to do in you to help you take that next step closer to him. Maybe you've never stopped trying to fix yourself and surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been following Jesus, but the Spirit is showing you part of your life that still needs healing. Maybe the Spirit is ready to use you as a vessel to pour out his grace and his love for others. But you need that holy boldness that doesn't come from anything within ourselves. Whatever and wherever the Spirit is working in your heart today. I want to encourage you to respond to that work, to join God in the work he's doing in you. And you can do that from your pew. Come down and pray at the altar. It's always open to meet with God.
But friends, don't walk past the opportunity that the Spirit is inviting you into.